You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. Well, good morning. Um, It's really, really good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for having me and uh, thank you for the invite and welcoming me so warmly as you have done. Um, As Chris mentioned, we've been, uh, I I would call us friends, I I hope that we'd go that far, um, for a good six, seven years now. Um, I uh, live in London now, lived in London for almost about three years, but we met in the north of England. Uh, My lovely wife, Rachel, is at our home church in London this morning, but she says hi, as does our little dog, Mumphy, who's beautiful, uh, a little bit like a rat, if I'm really honest, but I kind of find her adorable, Uh, who I wanted to bring along today, but uh, I thought might just run riot. So she's far worse than a baby, in my opinion. Uh, Maybe not harder to look after, but far more uh, naughty. Anyway, um, as I say, it's a real pleasure to be with you today. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, if you could turn it to Jeremiah 29, um, that would be amazing. And we're going to just look at some of the first verses in it. So this is a chapter which is really famous for verse 11, 12, 13, Um, but we're going to look at the first seven verses today and and hopefully just open that up and uh, see what God would want to share with us. So this is Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 7. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So uh, this letter is is going to be aimed at the, the people of God, the people of Israel, who have been taken from their their land, from Jerusalem, which is incredibly precious in the people of Israel's mind. I recently had the privilege of, of being in Israel and, and visiting Jerusalem. I know Chris did not too long ago as well. And this site is incredibly important to these people. But actually the Jewish people have been taken captive. They've been put into exile out of Jerusalem into to Babylonia, Babylon, there we go, we got there eventually, into Babylon, um, and they're being held captive, they're they're being held against their will. Um, So this is who the the people is that this is addressed to. Uh, Jumping to verse 3. He entrusted the letter to Eleazar, son of Shaphan, and to Jemaria, son of Hilkiah, who Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Interesting. All those I carried, the idea that actually God was the instigator of the moving from Jerusalem into uh, Babylon. Those I carried into exile. Do this. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Again, to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Um, A few years back, I was... uh, at Amsterdam Airport, travelling from Amsterdam to Manchester. So that was that was my flight. And I got onto my plane and I sat into my seat 
And do you know when you just, I don't know if you've been on many planes before, but uh, sometimes you kind of just want to settle down and forget about the world for the next hour. So you maybe kind of take your wallet out of your pocket, you put it in the little basket in front of you, you try to kind of just get peace and go, okay, I am done. So I've kind of settled myself in a few minutes early. I'm near the front of the queue. And, and a chap walks up to me and he says, excuse me, sir, you're, you're sat in my seat. I'm thinking, ah. Oh. So I, I politely look at him and I go, oh, no, I, I think I'm sat in the right seat. So, sorry about that. And he was like, no, you're, you're definitely sat in my seat. So I'm thinking to myself, I, get, I got annoyed quite quickly for a moment because I'd settled down. I, I was comfortable. And I'm thinking to myself, Ah, oh, I know how to read a ticket, mate. Like, just, just let me be. I'm sat in the right seat. And so I'm like, no, I'm, I'm definitely sat in the right seat. And he goes, let me see your ticket. So I'm thinking, oh, unbelievable. Like, he's questioning whether I can read, like, two numbers and a letter. Like, 27B. I was like, I know I'm sat in the right seat. But I think at least I'm going to prove him wrong. So slightly smugly, I take my ticket out of my pocket I check it first. I'm like, great, I'm sat in the right seat. I hand it him and he looks at it for the moment and he goes, oh, you are sat in the right seat, but you're on the wrong plane. This is going to Glasgow, not Manchester. And I was like, how has that happened? So I rush off the plane. They've been calling my name, Mr. Waldridge, flight to Manchester, final call. We're about to leave. And I have to do the walk of shame onto the, fl- onto the plane in Manchester. And like, I got on the wrong plane. I'm really sorry. Um, but it reminds me a bit of how we can think of the Christian faith in that we, we can be sat in the right position, but it can almost be like we're going in the wrong direction. It can be quite easy to have a mindset that says, well, uh, I've met Jesus and now I just need to get to heaven. That, that's the plan. I just need to get through this life and I need to get to heaven and it will all be good after that point. But actually, I think the Gospels tell us and what God is saying here in this passage in Jeremiah, that actually it's not simply the focus of our lives to get to heaven, but we're called as God's people to bring something down to earth. That actually we can be sat in Christ, we can be in Christ in the right position, and yet we're heading in the wrong direction. It's not that ultimately that isn't where we're going to be. It's not that that isn't the case. But it's that actually our focus on earth isn't simply getting to another place. But it's about bringing something of the life and the culture and the values and the hope and the joy and the love and the peace of heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, down to earth, down to your family to your loved ones, to your household, which might not seem very much like heaven at the moment, to your street that might feel like a million miles away from heaven, or to your workplace and to your boss, who might seem like he's well more fitted in hell than in heaven. But we're called to bring something of heaven's culture, of heaven's atmosphere, its values to earth. And what God is saying in this passage to God's people who could easily have got to this place and been like, I can't believe we're here. Everything against is against us. Even God is against us. This is a position for them of just furthest away from how they expected life to be. Furthest away from the joy and the peace and the, the hope that they, they wanted to live in. They were in a place of being, they felt judged by God. Life couldn't have felt harder for them. And yet God said, actually, you're not called to escape from this place. You're called to bless it. This passage says, seek 
the shalom of the city. The shalom. When we were in Jerusalem uh, a few weeks back, um, we'd frequently hear this word shalom. It was, it was like a greeting. It was how they would say hello and how they would say goodbye to each other. And often you may have heard this word spoken uh, or translated as the word peace. So you're greeting each other with the word peace. But actually, the Bible has a far richer understanding of this word than simply peace. Because when I think of peace, I simply think of of an absence of conflict, i.e. me and my brother are not arguing each other like crazy. So therefore, there's peace between us. Like we, we have peace or, or our dog isn't going absolutely mental on me and barking and yapping like just hell is set loose. Um, actually, there's peace. But this word here, shalom, doesn't simply mean that there's an absence of conflict. It speaks about there being a wholeness of life. It speaks about there being this a joy and a fullness and a, and a fulfillment to life. And what this passage is saying is, is actually in your place that you find yourself, seek the wholeness of life there. It's saying in your workplace, in your family, in your city, on your street, in your tower block, wherever you may find yourself, you are there for a reason. In fact, God has brought you to that place for a purpose. And that is to seek the wholeness, the shalom, the peace of the city. And as you do so, you'll find peace yourself. As you do so, you'll find life. I've got an amazing friend who um, was just remarkable in many ways. He came out of university and just got a dream job. I think he had done a a degree in um, business or economics or something like that and found himself entering into a bank. And within two or three years, he had got promoted to to be sitting in the boardroom with directors on a a daily basis. He was in his mid-20s. His pay package was just out of this world. And I was just there going, this is, what has God done for you here? This is, it felt like it was only God who could have opened these doors for him. It was, it was kind of crazy for his age. Um, but quite quickly, he found himself frustrated within this setting because he had a real passion for God. And he said, well, I really want to serve God and I really want to do something great for God. But he, he didn't have in his mind that he could do that in any way other than working for a church. He associated in his mind, well, I serve God by working in a church. And the best way I can serve God is by being a pastor or by being a community worker for a church. And he ended up giving up all of his job. And, uh, and the, the influence he, he could have had there in order to work for a church, which many people thought was really noble. And actually, for lots of people, can be a really noble thing to do. But he spent a couple of years working for a church. And over that time, it was like God worked in him and shaped his thinking a little bit. And he came to an understanding of, of this passage and, and what God was saying that said, actually, this what God is calling us to do is not about simply working in a church. It's about working in a city in the purposes of God. That actually God's purposes are beyond just what we do on a Sunday. It's beyond what we do on an alpha group. It's beyond what we do when we meet to pray and to uh, to read the Bible together. Actually, what God is doing on the earth, he's doing through bankers 
and he's doing through teachers and he's doing through council workers and he's doing through mothers and he's doing through retired people and he's doing through people in their, their neighborhoods and he's doing through people in care homes. Why? Because God's spirit is not kept just to a church building and his work and his purposes are meant to unfold throughout the earth. So he ended up going back into the business world, but this time with a mindset that said, I can serve God in this place and I can seek the peace and the the welfare and the wholeness of the people that I'm working with. And, And God's now using him in amazing ways in that place. And I love that mindset because it can be so easy to associate God's plans and purposes simply with this gathering. Or with maybe a moment of devotion that we spend in our Bibles on a day-to-day basis. But actually, as you meet with friends for a coffee, as you walk down your streets and say hi to the people who live near you, as you serve and, and just help out and be a good citizen, you have the opportunity to bring something of heaven's culture to earth in that place. See, this earth is not somewhere for us to escape from. It's not something for us to avoid in case we might be contaminated by it. Actually, it's somewhere that we're meant to care deeply for in the heart of God that says, actually, God, you so loved the world that you sent your only son. I um, I sometimes find myself in the busyness of life just rushing just getting a to-do list, which is longer than what the amount of time that I have. And uh, I have to remind myself and even have people remind me and ask God to remind me just to slow down and to care more. I, um, I've got an older brother and an older sister, and I love them both dearly. But for some reason, I don't really know why, my heart is really like soft towards my brother. And, um, and I often think when I see somebody in need, and my heart isn't moved, and I don't feel, I could feel like I could just crack on with my day. I often think, oh, what if that was Dave? And my heart is softened immediately for some reason. Because I think, if that was my brother, I mean, I would be there in a moment to help out. I wouldn't think twice about it. Um, and I think, actually, that is someone else's brother. And then that is somebody that God has made in his image. And yet so often my heart can be hard. And the truth is, I just need to care more sometimes. Because in caring, in loving, what you're doing is you're being a vessel, you're being a channel for God to show his care and his love. And this amazing transaction begins to take place where where heaven's climate comes down to earth. And the, the darkness and the grief and the, the, the challenges of earth becomes saturated with the love of heaven, becomes softened with the goodness of God. And something of the wholeness of what God's plans and purposes are can take place. Now, these don't have to be big, bold, life-changing actions. It can be opening a door with a smile on your face and, and saying, God bless you. And saying, I hope you have a great day. And it's a small act, but it brings something of the climate of heaven to earth. It can be volunteering at your local care home or down at a kid's work just to bring something of peace and life to a place. And in doing so, you're bringing something of the climate of heaven. 
It, it can be just being a great friend and being someone who's willing to give their time and give their energy and give their care for somebody else. And in doing so, you're bringing something in the peace and the life and the wholeness of God to the world. So the direction in which creation is heading is towards this peace. It's towards this heavenly direction of wholeness, of shalom. But how do we do that? How do we get there? And this passage gives us um, five little things which we're just going to mention. We're not going to go in depth about them. Um, But they're almost mindsets, some of them, for us to go about our day thinking about these things and to understand that we have a role to play in seeking the, the shalom, the peace, the wholeness of a city. The first one uh, we find is in verse 5. And it says this, it says, build houses and settle down. Build houses and settle down. What this command is saying is, when you are in your location, think long term. Don't get frustrated in that your neighbours haven't completely changed in the first week of you praying for them. Don't don't start thinking, well, I've been here for six months now and Brighton is the same as it's always been. Maybe don't even think I've been here two years now and Brighton is the same as it's always been. Start thinking long term because God is present and he's active and we simply get to join in with his plans and purposes. And God isn't limited to the timescale that we often are. When he thinks about things, he thinks on the long term. So build houses and settle down and say, actually, this is my patch. There's an ownership that comes when you build a house. Uh, I don't know if you've ever owned a house. We rent, but we did own a house when we were in Scunthorpe. And it was like, okay, I'm, I've owned this house now. I'm going to change the furniture. I'm going to change the layout. There's, this is kind of like, I want this to be my own. And actually, God is saying here, the place where you live, not just the physical place, but the, the, the people around, have a sense of ownership. Have a sense of, actually, this is my patch and I'm thinking long term here. God, what do you want to do? How can I invest long term into this place to see something of heaven's climate come to earth, to see something of the peace and the joy and the life come to my neighbourhood? So the first one, build and settle. In that same verse, it then goes on and says, um, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. What he's saying is, is actually be involved in the sowing and the reaping of your city. I love the idea of sowing um, because it takes the pressure off me. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done any farming or any seed planting or anything like that. We tried to grow some strawberries in our last house. We weren't incredibly successful, mostly because... When the strawberries grew, we weren't attentive enough and cats would come and eat all of our strawberries. I didn't know that cats enjoyed strawberries, but uh, it would appear that the cat next door really loved ours. Uh, probably wasn't healthy for it. But, um, but what we did was this. We sowed some seeds. The ground was in a decent condition, admittedly. We sowed some seeds and we watered occasionally. And then we kind of just let nature do its course. I can't claim that I was doing a great amount of science. I can't claim that I was doing a great amount of work. I was simply sowing seeds. 
And, and in our world, which seems so broken and so dark and so like, what influence can I possibly have? What difference can I make? God simply says, sow some seeds. Maybe water some ground and trust me to bring the growth. This is what um, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 says. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he says, I, I planted some seeds and Apollos, another disciple, he watered them. But ultimately, all the growth has come from God. God is the one that causes growth. So, so take the pressure off yourself. If you don't feel like you're good enough, if you don't feel like you have anything to contribute, I'd, I'd love to tell you, you do. You can sow some seeds of hope by being a positive influence. You can sow some seeds of life by caring more, by, by asking how people are doing, by, by inviting people to a friendship group or to a coffee or to Alpha or to church. And you're not having to do any big science or big transformative work. You're simply sowing seeds of life and believing God to bring the growth. So plant and eat and believe what God will do as you sow seeds. So the first one was to build and to settle, to think long term and to have a sense of ownership. The second was to plant and to eat, to, to sow seeds, trusting that God causes the growth. The third thing we find is in verse six. It says, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Uh, Marry and have children. Now, don't worry, I don't think that for us he's necessarily commanding that's what you have to do. Uh, but I think there is an idea within marriage here, particularly for the people of God in this situation, where their family life and their marriage was to be an example to the Babylonian people. We sometimes read, I don't know how much you've read of the Old Testament, and sometimes some of their laws and the regulation for, for women and children can seem incredibly harsh can seem like they're just in it from a different world and be almost feel unethically wrong, ethically wrong. Um, and in our culture today, it, it does feel that way. But the thing about the Old Testament ethics to do with women and children, to do with family life, is it was incredibly progressive for its day. Actually, compared to the Babylonian people that they were, they were living amongst, they treated women and children incredibly well. In fact, when it says here to marry, it's saying, actually, be an example of what wholeness of life can look like. Be an example. Don't just use your words, but let your life show something of, of the goodness of, of family, of relationships, of treating people well. And actually, our lives speak so loudly. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was called up for jury service. I don't know if anyone's been called for jury service before. I was incredibly excited, a little bit giddy about it. I thought, I'm going to get this like big kind of like crime. It's going to be like the TV. I'm going to like... And anyway, it wasn't exciting at all. I spent the first three days sitting in a room waiting to be called up and just wasn't called up. And then my trial lasted for about two, three days. And I can't give loads of details for legal purposes, uh, but... It was a really obvious case. And um, the reason why it was really obvious was because, well, the person accused um, was quite fluent and quite kind of, he spoke quite well about why it wasn't him. He was almost quite convincing with his words in many ways. And if you had just listened to him, you would have thought, 
hmm, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't him. Um, so that was the defence. However, then the prosecution came and showed us a video of him doing the crime. <laughs> and I thought, well, your words don't matter that much because I'm just watching you do it here. This just is so obvious. And the truth is, in our lives, our words are powerful, but only really as much as our lives show it. Actually, our example is incredibly powerful. So what this passage is telling us, actually, in, in your family unit, in your relationships with people, in how you treat other people, be an example. Don't just talk about God's love. They do talk about his love because his love is amazing. But just in simple ways, as best as you can, show his love to people as well. Because that is a powerful example. Okay, the fourth thing it says is... Uh, also found at the end of verse 6. It says this, increase in number there and do not decrease. So it says, get married, have children, increase in number and do not decrease. What it's saying is, actually, I want your influence to grow. I want your influence to grow. Uh, it's Matthew 5 verses 14 to 16 where, where Jesus is talking to his followers and he says, you are the light of the world. So don't hide your influence. Don't put your light under a bucket. Put it on a hill so all can see. Actually, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be people who are, will boast in Christ alone. Who actually are, are unashamed in our, in our love for God, in our, in our confession of his love for the world. And there's supposed to be this influence that we have that, that is generous. I want to be a person who is generous with my love and with the love of God that I've experienced. We're meant to be a light. But there's this passage in Isaiah 54, uh, and I won't read it out now, verses 1 to 3. And it's of uh, a woman who is, is barren, and God says to them, no, no, sing, barren woman, because you're about to have children. And, and then get your tent pegs and, and spread them out. Make the place that you've been living wider and greater because your influence is about to increase. It's a mindset that God is saying to his people in the book of Isaiah to say, actually expect your influence to grow. And you know what, there's something in our lives that uh, we almost have as much influence as what we expect to have in many ways. If we walk around saying, well, my light isn't very bright. I'm, I'm not really going to have any influence. We end up keeping this to ourselves. But actually, the, the bolder we are, the more expectant we are, the more confidence we have in God and in his light in us, our light grows. Our light has a greater influence. There's something of this passage that says, don't simply seek to, to be an influence, but know that your influence will increase as you do so. Have an expectation. And with that expectation, step in to some places of risk. My dad is amazing. I love my dad. But uh, in the eyes of certain cultures, he wouldn't be seen as the coolest person in the world. Okay, can I say that? So he is an avid train spotter. Anybody a train spotter in this place? Come on, an avid train spotter, alongside an avid stamp collector, which uh, I 
I think he's awesome and I adore him for it. But actually, in many ways, he's the wisest and he's quite reserved, but incredibly wise and pretty risk averse in many ways in how he is. However, he travels Europe looking for trains. He absolutely loves trains and he'll go with some friends um, to find rare trains and to get their numbers and to get a photo. What I didn't know about my dad is he's so avid about it, this wise kind of risk averse person is he'll sneak into like run down, closed off old train barns and he'll be chased by the police. This has happened in order to get a photo of a train that he really wanted. I was like, dad, that's not like you. And his only response was, it was worth it. And I'm thinking, Wow. But there's something, isn't there, of, of risk when you think it's worth it that you're willing to take. You're willing to take a risk when you think it's worth it. And actually, in the influence we're called to have, in this privilege and this, this joy we've been given to bring something of heaven down to earth, actually, we need to know it's worth it. But we'll have to take some risks in order for our influence to grow. To start some conversations we maybe wouldn't naturally start. To, to offer to serve and to care for people in a way that actually we might be rejected for it. But know this. Your risk is worth it. Uh, because something of heaven coming to earth is always worth the risk. And our influence will grow because of it. The final point from this. Verse 7, it says, Also, Seek the shalom, the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. A final thing I think we're called to do is, is to pray. Because the reality is, if you're anything like me, you probably recognise that uh, we're not going to have a big influence without God doing that. I've uh, lived in London now for three years and I feel like my influence is really small. I sometimes think, what difference have I actually made? Um, and it often feels very slow and very like, come on, God, what is happening here? But actually coming back to a place of prayer reminds me that my role is to sow seeds, to water them and to trust God for the growth. Uh, in prayer, we, we're humbled in a really healthy way to say, actually, God, I need you. I need your spirit. Because God, when it's your spirit working through me, miracles can happen. Lives can be changed in both dramatic and in subtle ways. But God, I'm not enough in and of myself. So pray for your neighbours. They don't have to be hour-long prayers. Pray for your work colleagues and for your family. Pray for your children. They don't have to be long. But can I encourage you to do this? Make them bold. Somebody once said, and this is a little bit of a mouth tongue twister, so forgive me, try to take it in. If the transcripts of your prayer became the script of your life, what would you pray? So if the, the written down transcript of your prayers suddenly translated and became the script that your life lived out, what kind of prayers would you pray? Because they're the kind of bold prayers we're meant to be praying. Believing that God will do great things in our neighbourhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, in our churches. In order for something of heaven to come to earth.
So, so build, settle, think long term, have a sense of ownership, plant and eat. So, know that your role is simply to sow and to trust God to cause the growth. Marry and have children. Be, be an example. Be an example in your relationships. It doesn't have to be marriage. It can be all your relationships. Be an example. Increase. Have influence. Take risks. Believe for God. And pray. Pray as if it depends on God. And then work as if it depends on you. Because prayer is an invitation into partnership with God. We're going to finish off this morning. And I've taken over time, so I apologise. This is quite typical for me. Um, we're going to finish with communion this morning. And um, I thought this was a really significant way to end today, talking about the idea of being a people of peace in our city, being a people of, of shalom and the wholeness of God. Because as we take communion, what we're doing is we're coming to the Prince of Peace. We're coming to the one that as we eat of the bread and drink of the wine, we're partaking in the peace that he won for us. John 14 verse 27 says, and it's Jesus speaking, So peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Today as we, um, as we take communion, I would love us just to have a moment to reflect and to invite Jesus to make us whole again. Perhaps you're in a place where you lack peace. Perhaps you're in a place where you don't feel whole or fulfilled. And Jesus says, that's okay. We've all been there. We've all experienced this. And we probably will again. Yet Jesus continues to invite us to know his peace, continues to invite us to the table where we partake in his body and his blood and in doing so experience his love and his wholeness. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.